Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Someone that had all 
of the at all of the political power of the Roman Empire behind him. This King Agrippa here, I, I mentioned it. Uh, maybe I think to some of you after the service on Sunday morning. Uh, but this king was not as we would consider a king of a nation, but rather he was a king of the Judean region. And this was he was a he was a co-ruler. He was a a co-regent, if you would, with the Roman Empire. He is. His authority did not come of his own. Uh, as you and I would think about the king of, uh, of England when England had a king or, or the monarch there now, Queen Elizabeth II and, and who she is. And we think about the king of Jordan and other nations in the world that still have uh, somewhat of a, mo a monarchy. Uh, you know, you think about Britain, for instance. Queen Elizabeth is their monarch and she uh, is the figurehead, but they have a constitutional monarchy. Queen Elizabeth really does not have the power in England. The prime ministers do. The, the, the House of Lords does. And their, their, uh, their uh, legislative assembly does. She's a figurehead, if you will. And that's essentially where uh, King Agrippa is uh, in this text. He has the power of Rome. He can do whatever he chooses to do as long as Rome's okay with it. Amen. But this man has power. And he has the entire backing of the greatest world power in this day, the Roman Empire behind him. And yet Paul was God's man, fulfilling God's purpose in God's way with God's spirit upon him. And by doing that, the spirit of God gave him boldness to declare the truth of salvation even in front of someone that did have the power to take his life. And I hope and I pray that if we ever get there in the United States of America, we would be as bold and as faithful as Paul is in this text. Amen. But as he gives the truth, as he shares the gospel, as we have mentioned, he gives his testimony. He begins giving his testimony in verse number four. He asks in verse number three for the king to hear him patiently, uh, to give him a patient ear as he gave this word of testimony. And beginning in verse number four, and uh, continuing all the way into verse number 23, he gives his testimony and he gives a detailed account of what God did for him all the way over in Acts chapter number 9 when God saved Saul of Tarsus, a lost religious man by his grace and turned him into one of the greatest servants that Christendom has ever known, the great apostle Paul. And he gives his testimony. And so we've been looking at how Paul's testimony and the aspects of Paul's testimony are aspects of the testimony that you and I have that are saved by the grace of God. We saw, number one, that it is a testimony, that the testimony of a saved man, that's what we're preaching on, the testimony of a saved man. The testimony of a saved man, number one, tells of interrogation. Verse one through three tells us of that. And then we saw not only was it a testimony of interrogation, meaning he's being called uh, to the carpet, if you will. He's being interrogated for his faith. And you and I will experience that sometime, amen. Somebody will question you about your faith. And I hope you have the ability to do what Paul does and share your faith with others, amen. Uh, we see that the testimony of a saved man uh, tells of interrogation. It's one of interrogation. But then, number two, we've seen that it was one of insurrection, uh, verse 4 through 12 tells us that. 
that Paul was an insurrectionist. He was a rebel against the things of God. Uh, as a lost man, he served religion and he didn't serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to persecute the church. He wanted to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't want Christians to share the gospel and he compelled them to blaspheme. He ran them out of their cities. The Bible says uh, in verse number 11 that he persecuted them even under strange cities. The Bible talks about his physical violence against them and putting them in prison and all the things that he did. And so as a rebel, he did what he did as a lost man having no knowledge, the Bible teaches us, of the actions that he was that he was he was in, he was enacting and the rebellion that it was against God. Amen. Amen. I said it before, and I make no hesitation to say it again. You should never get mad at a lost person for acting like a lost person. That's right. That's right. Amen. If somebody comes to you and you know they're not saved and they're they're acting in, in an ungodly way. By the way, acting ungodly is what lost people do. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's, it, that's, it's, 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 the it's the nature of being lost. It's the nature of being unredeemed. And by the way, before each of us got saved by the grace of God, we were rebels as well. Yeah, we right. acted that way as well. Right. We were ungodly as well. And you may say, well, I was a good old boy or I was a good, good old girl. Amen. You may have been in public. You may have been in your actions. You may have had things that you did not let others see you do uh, just because of fear or mom and daddy wouldn't be happy or whatever the case may be. Uh, but friend, if you're saved tonight, you you may have not done abominable works like Paul did here in this text, but I promise you this, in your heart you were wicked just as I was wicked. In your right. mind you were wicked. Right. In your desires you were wicked because right. sin is not just what we do before Christ. Sin is who we are. Yeah, we're sinners right, right. by birth. We're sinners right. by nature. And yes, we are even sinners by choice. Amen. That's right. when there was days of insurrection. But then we notice this and we uh, pick up here this evening as well. Not only in the testimony of a saved man, the testimony of a saved individual is it one of interrogation and insurrection, but it is also one of interjection. Notice verse 13. Uh, through 15 again the Bible says in verse uh, 13 we see the moment of this divine interjection the Bible says at midday O king I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me the moment of this divine interjection if you remember it was halfway the Bible said that Paul was saved on the road to uh, Damascus, the Bible said, at midday. Amen. Meaning he spent half of his day lost and he spent the other half of his day saved. Uh, Amen. Uh, he woke up that morning a lost sinner, but he went to bed Amen. that night a saved Amen. child of God. Amen. Amen. A saint of God, Amen. washed in the blood, redeemed and converted. Amen. And so the moment of the word, uh, excuse me, the moment of this divine interjection but then, number two, uh, under that fall of interjection, we see not only the moment of it, but we saw the manner of it. And this is where we conclude Sunday night. The manner of if, if the moment of it was halfway, we see that the manner of it was heavenly. The Bible talks about, in verse number 13, a heavenly light. The Bible said that there was a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining right on about me. There was a heavenly light. And then verse number 14 tells us there was a heavenly language. 
The Bible said that they, that the Bible said that God, uh, in verse number 14, when we were off on the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Amen. And so we see here that Jesus is speaking to Paul out of heaven, bringing that message to him. And we see that he speaks uh, out of heaven. And the Bible mentions that uh, he speaks in Hebrew as well, that this is a heavenly language. And by the way, the application to us is you may not have experienced what Paul experienced, but when you got saved, God turned heavenly light on in your soul and in your life, and he spoke to you in a language Amen. you can understand. Paul, as a Jew, understood Hebrew. He spoke to him right where he was in a place with a language where he could understand. And from heaven, he spoke to you and called him to you or called you to himself. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this interjection, we've seen in verse 13 the moment of it. We see in verse 13 and 14 the manner of this divine interjection. But then tonight I want us to begin uh, the message tonight by looking at the message of this divine interjection. The moment, the manner, and now the message. Notice in verse number 14 again, the Bible said, and when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard, notice that word, I heard a voice speaking unto me. Aren't you glad that there was a day in your life where he spoke directly to you? Amen. Amen. Christ was not necessarily as interested in all of those traveling with Paul on this day. And there, but the Bible says that he was speaking to Paul. He spoke directly to Saul of Tarsus in his lost condition and let him hear the message that he needed to hear in order to be born again. So as we look at this, at this verse, verse 14, we see that just as the manner of this divine interjection came in the form of a heavenly light and a heavenly language, we see tonight that the message of this divine interjection comes in the form of a heavenly lesson. Amen. Here in this passage, he is teaching him some things. Amen. If the moment of this divine interjection was halfway, if the manner of this divine interjection was heavenly, then we see that the message of this divine interjection was heard. God allowed Paul to hear it. God let him hear heaven's lesson, heaven's message for him that he might be born again. Notice what he says beginning in verse number 14. The Bible says, And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me. And notice at this moment in his testimony, all he knows is that there's a voice speaking to him. All he knows is that this is a voice. But as we look at what the voice is saying, it becomes more than a voice, but the voice, it becomes identified. Notice what the Bible said. The Bible said that it was speaking to him in the Hebrew tongue. I believe that lets us know that the person speaking to him is a Jewish individual, one that speaks in the Hebrew language. Notice what it says. The Bible said that this voice said, Saul, Saul. By the way, this is one of only a handful of occasions in your King James Bible where God calls a man's name twice in order to get his attention. You think about it in the books that talk about Samuel's life. The, the Bible said that God said, Samuel, Samuel. 
You think about Abraham when he was about to kill Isaac. God said, Abraham, Abraham, amen. Every time you see uh, those passages, you find that God is overemphasizing the name that he is calling out to the one that he is speaking to. And I believe just as Abraham, I believe with all of my heart, God called Abraham's name twice because Abraham had already settled in his heart that if God said, I need to slay my son Isaac, the son of promise, if I need to slay him, uh, then God will raise him up from the dead. Hebrews said that's exactly what uh, Abraham was anticipating. Amen. And Abraham was so faithful to God and so determined to be obedient to God. God didn't just call his name once, but he called his name twice. Because I don't think at the first name Abraham slowed down much. It took two times of God calling Abraham's name for him to cease that action of taking that dagger and plunging it into his son. Amen. That's faithfulness, amen. That's devotion. That's diligence to the Lord. I believe that just as Abraham was that faithful to serving the Lord and being being obedient to the to the Lord in the plan of God, I believe that Saul of Tarsus was just as uh, just as determined uh, to go on the path that he was going. I believe that Saul of Tarsus was so determined to fulfill the work of religion and the work of the Pharisees in putting an end to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, stopping them from doing what the call of Christ would have them to do in sharing the gospel and the preaching the faith in Christ to the to the world, amen, and sharing it with Jerusalem, uh, to Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. Saul was determined to be a rebel and he was determined in his religion to go on thinking it was all okay thinking that he was doing a service to the Lord. So God, in the midst of his rebellion, Christ, in the midst of his rebellion, because he wanted Saul of Tarsus to be saved by the grace of God so much, he called his name twice. He stopped Saul right in his tracks. He called out to him. let Let me just back up and say this this evening. Aren't you glad for those of us that did not get saved the very first time that he convicted us, the very first time that he drew our heart uh, to Christ, the very first time we heard the gospel message, aren't you glad that Jesus is willing to call, is willing to send the message of our need for salvation more than once? Amen. 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 I believe the Lord keeps calling. If you keep rejecting, I believe he keeps calling. Now I do and I do believe that there are some that the Bible talks about God turns over to reprobate mind. I do believe that there are some who the Bible talks about being able, being able to sin away their day of grace. I personally believe that happened with one of King Agrippa's ancestors. I believe that happened with Herod the Great. I believe I believe that. Amen. Or or uh or uh or uh the, the Herod that killed John, not not Herod the Great, but uh, that Herod there, I believe that I believe that that happened with him. Amen. Herod Antipas, I believe that happened with him. Jesus never talked to him about his soul. Don't tell me that if you're standing in front of the Lord, uh, that the Lord didn't wasn't concerned with the fact that Herod was lost. I believe he was concerned, but I believe Herod had already seared his conscience. I believe Herod had already taken some missteps, and now God Jesus was no longer dealing with him. I don't see I don't see any way we can see that in the scriptures any other way. 
Jesus never opened his mouth to Herod. But here we come to this passage and he, Paul uh, is called by his name uh, that he possessed before salvation. And it's called out twice, Saul, Saul. And notice what he said. Uh, Christ asked this question after he gets his attention, after Christ identifies to Saul, which one in that band of people he was traveling with was he talking to, which one the message was to be heard by. Here's what he said. Notice this. I believe this is profound doctrine in our Bible. He said, why persecutest thou me? Yeah. I believe with all of my heart, Saul of Tarsus knew exactly who he was persecuting. He knew exactly who he was going up against. He wanted to stamp out the name of Jesus Christ from that area in which he lived. He wanted to stamp it out of Jerusalem. He wanted the memory of the cross of Christ and the message of Christians and the empty tomb. He wanted all of that to be a distant memory. I believe with all my heart, Saul of Tarsus never, until he got saved, wanted to see a day where you and I, as children of God, would know the truth generations later from those first disciples and those early Christians in the book of Acts to where the message of Christ would, would pass from generation to generation to generation until you and I heard the truth and you and I heard the gospel and this church was founded preaching that message. The Saul of Tarsus never wanted that to take place. He wanted to stop it before it ever really got started. But we see here, he asked this question, why persecutest thou me? Paul, if Paul knows Saul of Tarsus, if he knows who he's persecuting, I believe that what the Lord is doing here before he ever gives his name in verse 15, I believe he is already starting the process of identifying who it is that he's talking to. Notice what the Bible says where he says, uh, Jesus says, why persecutest thou me? Now let me ask you this question. Was Paul persecuting Christ in a physical body? No. Jesus has already died. Jesus has already, in Acts chapter number one, ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven. The ascension of Christ has taken place. The great commission has been given. The apostles, those original apostles, are going out to the four corners of the earth, spreading the gospel. Paul has been, at this moment in time, would be added to the list of the apostles, those who had seen the risen Christ, that would be given apostolic power and commissioned to serve in the office of an apostle. Uh, to uh, to uh, found give the church of the Lord Jesus Christ its foundation in those early days before the scripture was completed. But as we see that and we know Paul is not uh, persecuting Christ physically in a physical body as the Pharisees did, as the Sadducees did, as those Roman soldiers that nailed his hands and all of those that came against him in his earthly ministry, then how is Christ being persecuted? Jesus said, Saul, you're persecuting me. Here's what I mentioned a moment ago. I believe to be one of the greatest doctrines of our day is the fact that according to this verse, if you persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says you're persecuting him. That's right. If you try to handcuff the work of 
the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of believers that have been saved and blood-washed and make up his body. If you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ. That's right. The Bible said that Jesus is identifying that fact that he is persecuting Christ by persecuting the church. Notice what he continues to say in verse number 14. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And before he ever takes the time to let uh, Saul of Tarsus give him an answer, he gets that he gives him this statement. He says, it is hard for thee to kick against the priest. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? I believe it's interesting that the Lord, and he does it throughout the scriptures, whether Old Testament or New, the Bible teaches us that the Lord oftentimes will ask rhetorical questions. Now, I'll say this. I don't know, how, and I understand how uh, Jesus would wait for responses uh, for the Pharisees to trip themselves in their own words. I understand when uh, he will ask Peter and some of the apostles questions that they may hear their heart and that he may allow them to speak out loud what's in their heart. But I'll say this, I believe Jesus already knows the answers to the questions. Yeah. Amen. Amen. If you believe in the same God I do, you believe the same thing. If God is God at all, God is God of all. Amen. He's God over all. Amen. And if he is God enough to control this world, I believe he's omniscient enough and powerful enough that he can know what's in my heart and he can know my thoughts. And the Bible tells us that he does. Amen. Jesus throughout his earthly ministry was telling people what was on their mind. That's right. Amen. He stopped many Pharisees by telling them what they were talking about in their heart. Amen. I believe the word of God says that God knows what we talk about in our bedchambers. Amen. Amen. He knows all about us tonight. Amen. And, and, you know, you read questions like this, he gives rhetorical questions, but if you really think about it, except for God trying to uh, do a work or allowing you to hear what's in your heart or giving you the opportunity just to share what's on your mind, every question the Lord asks has a potential of being a rhetorical question. He asks the questions not that he may know an answer, but that you may search your heart and find out what the answer of your mind and your heart is. The Lord doesn't need me to answer any questions. He already knows my answer, but he wants me to know my answer. He wants me to hear my answer and to search my heart. Here we find he asked that question, and not only is this message, does it begin with a statement, but it's continued, uh, excuse me, it begins with a question, but it's continued with a statement. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So in this verse, his persecuting of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and whatever these pricks are that are coming against Paul, these things are inter, uh, interlocking in the heart uh, of, of Paul, interlocking in the, the mind of the Savior. He is In his message, he is bringing these two things together. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Here's what I believe it means. I believe Jesus is letting him know everywhere you go, every mile you take, every action you choose, every Christian you persecute, every Christian you run off, every work you do in the name of religion, persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in an effort to persecute me, to do as he said uh, in, in verse number in verse number nine where he said, I barely fought with myself 
that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth in your, in your efforts to come against the name of Christ everywhere you go. The Spirit of God has been pricking you, prodding you. Does anybody in the building know what a goad is? Those pokes, prods, that's the word being given here. Uh, Paul is being told, Saul of Tarsus is being told by the Lord, you are trying to persecute me, but all along I love you enough that I keep pricking your conscience and I keep pricking your heart. And that, Paul, as we know, is conviction. Those pricks are not to hurt him but it's to awaken his mind, to awaken his understanding of his spiritual condition and let him know he needs to be born again. This was a message that was heard, amen. This here is a is pricks of conviction that Paul, he said, it's hard for thee to kick against them. It's hard for you to push back. He says, you continued on your journey and with every action of persecution, you are pushing back against the conviction that you know that I'm sending your way. That's what he's saying here in this verse. When we look at what he's saying, I, I believe, and we know this is Acts 26, I believe with all my heart, and this is another message for another day, but I believe these pricks of conviction have, if they did not start earlier, I believe that we can biblically say that they at least began at the end of Acts chapter number seven. Brother Caldwell preached this morning and in his giving of illustrations, he mentioned how Stephen was willing to serve God and let God use him even though the people wanted to kill him. Right. And they stoned him, but they had to stone him while he was in the middle of serving God. Amen. Right. Being used of God. Saul preached one message and that one message was his first message and it was also his last message. And even though he did that and his life was taken and he did die at the hands of those that were stoning him, thank God Stephen was used of God. Amen. 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 And I hope and pray that God would use me many times in my life, but I pray that if God wants to use me in a major way, even just one time, in that one time that God would choose to use me, he wouldn't find me carnal. He wouldn't find me backslidden. He wouldn't find my heart cold, but he'd find me as one that's available, amen, to be used to serve the Lord. But I believe that the Bible teaches us that, you know, he mentions here in this passage about uh, those, verse number 10, at the end of verse number 10, he said that he received authority from the chief priests, and when they, those Christians, were put to death, he said, I gave my voice against them. I believe that Paul Although he mentions them, I believe he's speaking plural there. Uh, I believe that. I believe that's clear. But I believe in the midst of those them, that, that them that's mentioned, I believe the Apostle Paul has Stephen in his mind. As he held the coats of those that slung those stones at Stephen, as they needed the mobility to pick up these large rocks and hurl them at God's man, to hurl them at that spirit field, Deacon Stephen, that great preacher of the gospel, uh, as they needed that mobility, that extra room, they would take off those outer garments and they hand them to Saul of Tarsus, the man giving this testimony, and that he held their coats while they killed God's man. The first martyr of the church. Don't, don't, don't you try to convince this preacher that Paul did not live the rest of his days broken and burdened 
about what he allowed to happen. And not just for Stephen, but all of those that he gave his voice to their death and to their persecution. I believe, and, and I, I'm getting I'm getting off topic when I say, well, not really off topic, but off the outline anyway when I say this. But I believe that, you know, we talk about Paul and we, we read about his thorn in the flesh. I personally believe it was a matter of his eyes. I believe you can see, you can look at the book of Galatians and see that Paul dealt with near blindness. He had an eye issue that was very, very painful. And he talks about uh, that issue many times uh, in, his, in his writings. He talks about the many times that he had to let other people step in and actually pen his letters for him because he couldn't see the documents that he was writing on. It was a very painful thing. I believe personally that that is the thorn in the flesh. But I will say this. If he did have another thorn in the flesh, I believe it was his tortured conscience. Mm. I know many preachers that believe that is the thorn in the flesh. Is his tortured conscience. You got to think the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, when he went in to be the guest preacher at a church, he had to look at congregations of people that he might have killed their mom or their dad mm -hmm. or their brothers or their sisters mm -hmm. just for being Christians. And now he's preaching the gospel to them. But let me say this: we're talking about a minute. Uh, excuse me. We're talking about we're talking about a moment. We're talking about a manner. We're talking about a message of divine interjection, that his testimony was one that was interjected. Yes, Paul had to live with what he did the rest of his life, but because Jesus interjected into his life, interjected into the history of his life, he butted in on Paul's road to be a persecutor of the church in Damascus. This message was the message that took lost Saul of Tarsus and changed him divinely into the apostle Paul. He was changed forever, amen. They may have looked at him and he may have looked the same. His voice may have sounded the same. His appearance may have been the same. But if all those people could see in those churches where he preached, where they may, he may have been one that was used of the devil to persecute their loved one, oh, if they could see what Christ had done in the heart of the apostle Paul, amen, they would know that there was no reason to fear for this man that was once a child of the devil is now God's man and God's servant and God's apostle. I believe that we do see that that took place. But let, let me hasten this evening. We see the moment of this divine interjection. We see the manner of this divine interjection. The, the, the moment was halfway. The manner was heavenly. We, we, we see the message of this divine interjection. Uh, it was heard, but notice with me in verse number 15. Notice the man of this divine interjection. Notice what he said. He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, to go against the conviction of God and the spirit of God in his life. But notice what the Bible says in verse 15. Paul said, and I said, who art thou? Notice this, Lord. I believe with all of my heart that that, that part right there, halfway in the middle of verse 15, is where Saul of Tarsus got saved by the grace of God. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, Lord shall be saved. Paul said, Saul said, who art thou, Lord? And the Bible said, and he said, amen, the Lord said, hallelujah, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Yes, I thank God for what we learn in the moment of this divine rejection. 
I'm thankful what we learned about the manner of it and the message of it. But aren't you glad for the man, amen, that makes this divine interjection what it is? The man that comes on the scene, amen. amen. The man that the Bible said here is the Lord and is Jesus and Paul amen. was persecuted. Amen. 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 But, you know, if the moment of this divine interjection was halfway, and the manner of it was heavenly, and the message of it was heard, I guess I'd say that the man of this divine interjection was him. Amen. Aren't you thankful for him tonight? Amen. I'm thankful that the Bible said in Hebrews chapter number 10, but this man offered one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Amen. Is there anybody in church tonight that's thankful for him? Anybody in the house of God tonight that's thankful for this man, Jesus Christ? Amen. I'm thankful for him. Amen. Notice the man of this divine interjection we see that this man first of all in verse 13 and 14 came to him the Bible said that at midday O king I saw it away a light from heaven above the brightness of the uh, sun shining round about me and then which journeyed with me and when we were all fallen to the earth I heard a voice by the way that was the voice of him Amen. That was the voice of the man of the divine interjection. That was the voice of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Jesus came to him. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Not only did Jesus come to him, but Jesus called to him. Amen. And verse number 14, we see he called him by his name. He said, Saul, Saul. Uh, why persecutest thou me? Again, urgently trying to get his attention. He didn't want him to continue on this path. Jesus came to him. And aren't you glad he came to you? Amen. Jesus called to him. And aren't you glad he called to you? As the preacher said this morning, he used the word called you to salvation. Amen. Amen. Lord, that, that's a biblical phrase, by the way. Called to salvation. He came to him. Thank God he came to me. He called to him. Thanks God he called out to me as an eight-year-old boy at Mayo First Baptist Church in Mayo, South Carolina. He called me by name. I knew who he was talking to. He spoke in language an eight-year-old boy could understand. And I realized that day that it was him that was calling out to me. Amen. Amen. Not only did he come to him, he called to him. But the, the word preached there in verse number 14 means that he convicted him. Can I remind you that John chapter number 6 and verse number 44 says that Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. If you're not drawn, there you, you will not be delivered. If there is no conviction, there will be no conversion. Amen. He came to him. Thank God he came to me. And if you're saved, he came to you. He called to him, and I'm thankful that he called to me. I'm thankful not only that, but that he convicted me. Amen. But then I like this, verse number 15. Not only did he come to him, not only did he call him, not only did he convict him, but he changed him. Amen. Amen. Verse number 15. The Bible said, and I said, who art thou, Lord? Lord means that Paul was saying that this man was his master now. That this individual speaking to him was now the one in charge and the one in control. And I'll tell you this, the Jews didn't just call anybody Lord. Amen. The, the Lord 
They used that word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It was the word Jehovah. And they wouldn't even write that word except after they wrote that word that they would go and take a bath before they recorded anything else. The name was high and holy to them. He would, a, a religious Jew never would have called an individual Lord except for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They thought that Christ and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they worshiped were two different entities altogether. But to be honest with you, it was just simply father and son. Amen. And two parts of a triune God. And, and, and the one was doing the will of his father. Amen. But he calls him Lord and act that a Jew would have considered blasphemy. And as we see in the previous chapters of this, I don't know how many of you may have taken the time to go back and study some of the context. I've preached a little bit of it. But as you, if you go back and read the chapters previous to this, you'll find out that all of the Jews, because of Paul getting saved and because of his ministry and because of him preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, they wanted him dead. They did identify him as a blasphemer. They did identify him as a turncoat traitor to Judaism. That's right. But he said, who art thou, Lord? That's something that he never would have said before salvation. Right. I believe when he called him Lord, God saw the effects, saw the, saw the, uh, the heart of, the, uh, of Saul of Tarsus and saved him. Notice what the Bible says. Go with me, please, real quickly this evening to Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter number one and verse number 13. Galatians chapter number one and verse number 13. I have one more point. I'm not going to preach it tonight. Galatians chapter number one and verse number 13. In Galatians chapter number one, Paul again is giving his testimony, but now he's giving his testimony by way of a letter, by way of an epistle to the churches of Galatia. He says in verse 13, for ye have heard of my conversation. That word conversation means lifestyle, the way of his life. You've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. Notice it's not his religion anymore. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to them in the Jews' religion. Had it beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Again, that's why I believe he called his name twice, the zeal he had. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things I, which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterward, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was known by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only, notice this, that he which had persecuted us in times past, now, you see the change? 
That was then. The persecution was in time past. But now, preaches the faith which he once he destroyed. And notice verse 24. And they glorified God in me. Amen. Again, I believe one of the most power-packed verses in all of Scripture. There is a change that is evident that he once was a persecutor. Now he's a preacher. He once was uh, contrary to the cause of Christ, but now he is converted to it and he is conformed to it. What a complete change. I think about Acts chapter number 22 and verse number 12 and 13 where the Bible said in one Ananias a devout man according to the law having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there notice this uh, in Acts 22 13 came unto me and stood and said unto me notice what he says brother Saul received by sight Amen. in the same hour yeah. I looked up upon him you say preacher you said that Christ the man of this divine interjection changed Paul. I believe he did. Consider this. Galatians 1 that we read just a moment ago tells us that he went from being a burden to the church to being a blessing to the church. The Bible said that they knew him and when he was before them, they saw that noticeable evident change in Paul. And the Bible said they glorified God in me. What they thought was a, was a service where they might get killed. Paul came in and they rejoiced over his salvation. There was, he was a blessing to them. Galatians 1 said that he once had been a burden to the church, but now was a blessing to the church. But in Acts chapter 22 that we just read, he went from being a burden to the church to being a brother of the Christians. Amen. I would say that that was a, that was a change. Aren't you thankful for the complete change that the Lord Jesus Christ can work in a sinner's life? I'm glad that I once might have been a burden to the things of God and the work of God. I was a rebel, but I'm glad, thank God, I can be a blessing if I choose to be. And I hope I have been and I have continued to be. I'm so thankful I get to be, I get to be, I get to be a brother. Amen. I, I, I love where that, old, that where that old song says, about the family of God says that we call, we, we say brother and sister around here, amen? amen, amen. Because we're a family, amen? amen. And I'm glad we are a family. Right. And the reason why we can be a family tonight is because, thank God, Jesus changes us, amen? amen. amen. You're looking at someone I'm not the man I used to be. I may not, I know it's cliche, I may not be everything that I'm going to be, but I do praise God tonight that I'm not who I used to be. Amen. 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 And if you're saved by the grace of God, you ought to be thankful you're Amen. not who you used to be. But you may have the same name and you may have the same face and you may even live in the same place and you may, you may have much of the same as far as the world's concerned, but if the world could see down in the depths of your soul the, the wonderful work that Jesus made in you the day he saved you and the world would know that you may look the same and talk the same and look the same but you're not the same amen right. praise the lord we're not the same amen. amen thank you for making us part of your day we would love to hear from you please find us on facebook or at our website bbclexington.com <laughs>